Welcome back, everybody, to the Below Average Joe's MMA podcast, episode number 119. It's Monday. That means we're back in your lives with another MMA weekend recap. Dominic, we had a decent weekend of some MMA action, but outside of that, how was your weekend? Were you able to find some enjoyment outside of just the MMA realm? I was, my friend. So actually our pool here at the family <laughs> household is really starting to come along. The awesome. liner's in. The water is being poured. Mm-hmm. The concrete's around it. It's all starting to actually look like a pool rather than a hole in the ground. <laughs> so uh, that's pretty exciting. Got to see some good friends this weekend, watch the fights with them. I'm hoping to golf this evening after we're done recording to finish out the weekend. Obviously we record on Sunday. So uh, it was a good weekend, man. How was yours? You know, I, I can't complain. Uh, I got similar level of enjoyment. Got to spend a lot of time with some friends, um, which is always nice. And yesterday, even after all my porch drinking, I was able to be home in time (laughs) in order to watch the main card live with everybody else. So that's always nice when I can kind of time it up like that. I mean, Um, Perfect. Yeah. Uh, you know, besides that, what else is there to do in this in this college town of mine? True. Uh, but <laughs> MMA is obviously what you guys are here for, what we're here to talk about. A lot going on right now, obviously. We still got Conor McGregor making a lot of headlines, but obviously we've talked about him at length on this podcast, so he will not be really a focus on today's episode. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, however, we start with – our fight announcements, Dom. And actually, this first note here, this ain't just one fight. It's a season of fights. Yes. Season five, that is, <laughs> of Dana White Contender Series set to premiere on August 31st. Now, they announced this during the broadcast last night, correct? Yes, they did. So tell me, Dom, as you are the uh, oh yes, you are the Contender Series guy yes. by default since I – Unfortunately, for the entire time they were on last fall, could not stay awake for him. You tell the people why uh, this is exciting and why we're ready to see him back. Yeah, if you're a fan of the show, you know how big we are on the Contender Series. There's something about fights on a Tuesday, man. It's really mm-hmm. special. And uh, it's just we're able to see these young up-and-comers from the regional scene fight for their contract to get into the UFC, which is so special, and their family and friends Really small knit inside of the apex. Get to spectate and watch them. I'm very excited for it to be back. Can't believe it's already season five. Um, we even had some contender series vets on the UFC Vegas 31 card that we're going to mention. So there's a lot of big name fighters that have came from this show, and I'm sure it will continue starting August 31st. I can't wait. Yeah, I'm uh, <clears throat> obviously I've been expecting this kind of announcement, but now that it's here, um, I'm trying to reserve some expectations. Not to be kind of the downer here, but Unbelievable. The, 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 and I'm sure that the you know UFC they're 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 good at what they do, so they're gonna be able to find these diamonds in the rough, find yeah. these people that uh, are on the rise and maybe very close to making that kind of statement when to get into the promotion. However, due to COVID nineteen, we've had a big lull in these regional fights and these lower promotional fights. And because of that, it's probably becoming a little bit harder than it was in, let's say, season one or two for the boys at the UFC to really put together a season's worth of talent 
in the prospect realm. Mm-hmm. It's becoming harder. You're just going to have to maybe take some more flyers on some guys, um, look at guys that were kind of killing it before the pandemic but haven't really fought that much since then. Mm-hmm. You know, you're taking some chances there. Um, we'll see if it works out for them. I hope it does. I think, um, obviously, the format is one that I I'm, I really enjoy, even yeah. if it might not be the best way to evaluate talent, but I love the concept of kind of the, the job interview. Yeah. Um, you get yeah. one chance. Well, that retroly got out the window. Sometimes one that. chance. <laughs> really, some guys are getting two, three, four chances. But yeah. I love the idea of you come in here and based on your performance, it'll show like – Yes or no. White. Yeah, I mean, that guys go out. They go out on their shield. They, yeah. they go out looking to make a show out of it. Um, Finishes yeah, are excited. highly incentivized, which makes for some exciting fights. Agreed, agreed. The only other fight announcement we have is in the light heavyweight division happening September 4th. Number seven, Magomed Ankalaev going up against number eight, <sighs> Vulcan Uzdemir. He's back. And you got Vulcan, who this will be a year – plus layoff for him uh, since he got he introduced Yuri Prohaska to the UFC. They had a banger of a fight. Yeah. Uh, but Vulcan came out on the losing end of. Haven't seen him since. Here he's going up against Ankalaev. I'm just going to be honest. This is this does not get any easier for this guy. No, someone's poor, going to sleep. Well, poor <laughs> Vulcan. I mean, obviously he's going to have the power coming in here, but considering how good we think or know now that Yuri Prohaska is. Yeah. Magomed Ankalaev is another guy who's kind of gone under the radar, but that we both think is potentially a future title holder. Yeah, I so agree. for Volkan Uzdemir, this this does this route this this road to redemption does mm-hmm. not get any easier for the guy. So uh, I, I feel for him. I get it. You don't do tune-up fights in the UFC. Um, I like the matchup though, as far as Ankalaev's not necessarily going to be the power uh, power puncher, but he is very technical he's very smart fighter mm-hmm. um he really finds he's able to kind of find those holes in his opponent's games and just kind of expose them whether it's on the ground on the feet he's very good kind of everywhere yeah Volkan Uzdemir is all gas no break that guy throws <laughs> hammers yeah and uh that's worked out very well for him that kind of undermines him by just saying that I just think that even if I sat here and said, look, Volkan Uzdemir is a guy that throws a lot of power, but he can be a very technical striker, it doesn't compare, in my opinion, to the technique that is Magomed Ankalaya. What are your thoughts here? Yeah, that's a good point, and it's crazy because Volkan at one point was in the same boat as Yuri Prohaska, now Magomed Ankalaya, where he's the young, up-and-coming prospect that surges into the UFC, blasts up the ranks to a title fight. Now, all of a sudden... After he loses a few, loses the title shot to Daniel Cormier three years ago, he's welcoming these guys into the UFC all of a sudden for their top five opponents. So it's a very tough fight. Stylistically should be – has the potential, I should say, to be a barn burner, but also maybe boring. It depends on which way it plays out, whose guy or which guy takes advantage of their strengths in this one. But it's a fight that makes sense in terms of rankings, where their careers are at this point. Vulcan needs a bounce-back win. Anka Lives looking to launch into the top five. Should be a fun one. That's going to wrap it up for the fight announcements. Quick one there, but there are definitely some impactful fights that we mm-hmm. just talked about now. As we kind of move into a bit more of the news portion of this episode, we start with uh, some familiar names that have been making headlines for weeks now. <laughs> Dustin Poirier and Nate Diaz. Oh, now, boy. 
Nate Diaz in recent years, the man has become one of the more active Twitter users. Uh, it <laughs> seems like even even as his fight activity has had its low points, the guy is uh, constantly popping up on Twitter yes. when uh, big fights happen or and the lead up to big fights. Um, we've seen him recently take shots at Conor McGregor. Um, he even took shots at some celebrity boxers recently. So mm. um, he, anytime he can find a chance to to make sure everybody remembers that Nate Diaz is still yeah. around. The Diaz brothers good. are good at marketing themselves. Yes, they are, <laughs> even if they don't even realize they're doing it. <laughs> yeah. But here, <laughs> this one's interesting. Now, as you can see by the headline, um, yes, you are reading that correct. That is not a typo <laughs> at middleweight. Uh, Nate Diaz tweeted a picture of him and Dustin Poirier's face-off from their scheduled uh, headliner at UFC 230 that never came to be. And he said, 185 pounds, pull up. Dustin Poirier responds to that with, I'd touch you up at any weight. So yeah. small small exchange there, nothing too crazy. But you got Twitter talking. Dominic, what's going on here, man? We're talking uh, about 185 pounds. This is Nate Diaz who – Really is a 155er, but has yeah. fought more of his recent bouts at 170 pounds. And Dustin Poirier is in line to fight for the 155 pound title. Yeah. And we're talking about 185 pounds. Yeah. What's I, going on here? I don't know. The equation doesn't add up in my head, Noah. <laughs> I mean, these guys don't like each other. A lot of, I don't know, just kind of a rivalry that's random. Uh, that fight years ago would have been a banger. I don't doubt that for a second. And it is a fight that I wish fans could have gotten. But since, you know, they're on such different paths right now, Dustin literally is, or should be, I should uh, fight for a title next to Charles Oliveira. And Diaz on a two-fight skid, he's in these big fights for, you know, made-up belts, the BMF belt against Warrior Masvidal, and he's, I don't know. Their paths are going to intertwine on Twitter, but I think that's all. I don't know if this fight will ever actually come to fruition. If it does, don't make it at middleweight because it makes zero sense. Even, I mean, at welterweight even makes a little bit more sense because Dustin's hinted at moving up eventually. Nate fights there more frequently. So if we ever do see it in the future, maybe 170 at middleweight, I don't understand it whatsoever. I don't think we'd be able to see the full potential of these guys fighting up because that's just too much. They're not natural 185ers. 170 would make sense. 155 makes sense. But right now, Dustin, please go fight for your title, man. Please. Quit doing this to us. Yeah, my, my question here for you, and I can tell by the the sound of your voice that <laughs> I think you're going to side one direction here and one yeah. direction only. But my question for you is, and I, I let's take out the middleweight part of this because I, I just okay. I don't know. <laughs> I, I saw one, I saw one Twitter user say uh, they're like I am convinced that he mistyped and meant to put 165 pounds. <laughs> yeah, um, who knows? Which is kind of funny, but. Let's take out the middleweight part. <clears throat> just the fight. Just Poirier versus Diaz, which has been scheduled previously. We know Poirier was at a different place at that time. Yeah. Um, as really as well as Nate Diaz. Also now, true. my question is, we know Dustin Poirier is in line for a title shot if he wants it against Charles Oliveira. But he showed by taking the He's already turned it down once. Conor McGregor fight that he is not above at this point in his career kind of in the pursuit of that money fight of those big kind of big fights names. that, that yeah. kind of cross over into the mainstream. Um, he, he has at least showed that he values it 
on the same level as a title fight, right. something that he's really never had outside of his loss to Habib. What are the chances that this fight happens? And could you see Dustin Poirier potentially taking this fight over a title fight with Charles Oliveira? I mean, if serious talks were to actually take place, barring this two-tweet Twitter exchange, yeah. I think you would highly consider taking a fight against Nate Diaz over a title fight. It's just a matter of, does the UFC actually want to do this? How are they going to spin it and market it? Although it's too – I mean, Poirier's turned himself into a star off of the fights with Connor. Winning helps. Yeah, um, not I at guess. the same level as Diaz, Masvidal, right. Connor, but yeah. a star. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Um, and then obviously Nate is one of the more mainstream guys, obviously. So everyone watches Nate fight. I mean, he gave Leon Edwards a platform to go out there. So, yes, long story short, Dustin would highly consider this should it actually become serious discussions. But damn it. Damn it, Noah. Just go do your title fight and then go fight Nate Diaz. I don't know, man. I don't you know, know what's weird is that, like, it would be such a unique position where we've there's a guy that's such an obvious number one contender and he just continuously avoids the title shot. Yeah. Like I've never seen that. If this mm. if this fight were to be booked like you know, for the end of the year or something right. I'm talking about. Um so I guess like in my head I'd be like, What do you do? Like if he beats Diaz, does he still in line for the title or is Especially if, if it's not at one fifty five. Or if he takes himself kind of out of the running this time. Like, is he giving up his spot in line and have to move back? Like, what's yeah. that? You know, it's such a weird position. I've never, never, I don't think there's anything comparable to it in the history of the UFC yeah. or really any other major promotion for that matter, where a guy who is the obvious number one contender, and for a lot of people, they look at him as the pound for pound number, I don't know why I said pound for pound, the number one lightweight in the UFC. Yeah. <clears throat> and yet he's, he passed up the title shot once. It looks like there's a chance. I, I don't want to say a chance, but it looked like if it did happen a second time, it's like, okay, do you beat Diaz? Does Oliveira go and fight someone like Justin Gaethje or yeah. uh, Darius or whoever? Mm-hmm. And then if they win that, then does Poirier go for the Comes title? Yeah. Like, can you do that? I, I'm sure but by that can. time, Connor's returning and yeah, we're talking like, the fourth I, fight. I don't know. It's it's all a little strange to me. I, I want to believe that this fight really doesn't have much of a chance of happening. Not that I wouldn't be excited for it if it did. I'm sure I would. Yeah. Just like I got excited for the third Poirier Connor fight. But yeah. guys, let me let me complain a little bit. Here. Yeah. Just that I I want the best two lightweights to fight for that belt. And damn it, it's Charles Oliveira and Dustin Poirier right now. Yes. Nate Diaz has plenty of fights that he could take especially if he wants to stick at welterweight. If he comes down to lightweight, there are some big fights for him there. I don't think Dustin Poirier is really the guy right now for him. Yeah, Dustin, go focus on the title. Nate Diaz, worry about welcoming Connor back, I think, and do that trilogy. (laughs) That's what we should do here. Yeah, yeah. So let's transition into some Bellator. Bellator 262 happened Friday night, and um, its main event splits the fans as well as the judges' scorecards. Mm. And that's because Juliana Velasquez does retain her women's flyweight title via split decision over Denise Key Holtz. Now, Dominic, this was about going in where we very much thought that Juliana Velasquez, with the big win here, would be sort of cementing herself as kind of 
a problem, you know, yeah. not just a not just a transitional champion, but literally an era almost one that could taking. reign. Yeah. Um, and you saw some of the reasons for that in this fight. Velasquez looked huge again. The size yeah. difference was striking. She looks like a bantamweight. She yeah. really does. Um, and she uses that to her advantage. You know, she she does a very good job of striking at distance. However, Denise Keyholtz here was the aggressor early mm-hmm. and the aggressor often. Now, sometimes that aggression kind of got turned against her. But I saw Velasquez as someone who was almost overly patient in this fight. Yeah. I don't I don't even though I, I know we tend to kind of give our scores for these fights, you know, in the moment, like after we watched it live. Uh, but I, I I want to refrain from doing so with this fight because it's just it was so split for people. It was literally 50 50. I was yeah. saying for Velasquez and Keyhold. So um, I, I, I don't think I was, you know, really scoring it live. So I'm, I'm going to refrain from really giving much of an opinion on that. I will say when the fight was over. I thought Velazquez was going to retain, so I wasn't too surprised when she did. That's just how it felt right, watching right. it. Um, but regardless, Denise Keyholtz did make a statement here in that she really kind of – she really did bring that aggression that we thought she might, and it worked. You know, sure. Juliana Velazquez is really going to have to learn to to know when to kind of shoot when the when the strike when they engage because right now it just seems like she might be a bit too passive in these big fights. Yeah, I agree. And more than likely, her next title defense is going to come against a bull in Liz Carmouche, who does nothing but press forward. We saw what right. she did against Wantanambe last month. So, and especially someone that's very experienced like Liz could really present problems to Juliana after a razor thin fight like this, where she didn't impress too much as compared to her fight to win the title against McFarlane. So she's going to have to obviously make some adjustments because she's going to fight a very similar fighter, if not more aggressive in Liz Carmouche up next, at least assuming that's the fight to make. It would be hard not to after Liz's last performance. So. It'd be interesting to see Denise Keyholtz and Kana Watanabe get a fight together too. I'd be interested in seeing that moving off yeah. this one. I agree. Um, Nothing really of note for the rest of the Bellator card. It wasn't a very good card, honestly, like not a ton to take away, except I will just mention you have the split decision here that was very, you know, I don't think you can really call it a robbery one way or another. Just yeah. a very close fight that for Denise Keyholtz, who probably thought she had done enough to win, wasn't her night. Yeah. But then you saw in the co-main event, UFC veteran and – um you know, a guy who's been on kind of a skid at the end of his career here in Bellator, Matt Mitrione, he tapped the strikes in the first round of his bout with uh, Tyrell Fortune, I believe is his name. And um problem is, is that it looked like when you watch the replay of the fight that there was an inadvertent headbutt yeah. that kind of caused the damage that eventually led to the tapping of strikes. And I just want to make note of those because these are two situations where the fighter on the losing end was not at fault for what happened in their fight. You know, it, it was an accident. Obviously, I don't think it was, you know, for the headbutt. It wasn't right. like on purpose. But Fortune was able to get a win in some ways based on the fact that he headbutt and was not as hurt by it to Mitrione. Right. But then you have that main event where you have a split decision. And even though Keyholtz probably thought she had done enough to win, two of the three judges score it for Velasquez. 
I only make note of this is because when we've talked a lot about Conor McGregor recently, there's a lot of a lot of his defenders kind of act like this win for Dustin Poirier should be minimized due to the ankle break and whatnot. Yeah. And I just want to point out these situations, while completely different, I think they just showed that these fighters always have elements they have to push through and fight around, and there's a lot of luck involved in the game. It's so unpredictable. So unpredictable. There's so many elements you have to weather around. Even at the end, even if you had a clean, good performance, the judges might still be there to not give you the fight. Right. That's what happens sometimes. So – I'm just making note of that. Not that I, I, that might be a frustrating pill to swallow for some people, but I noticed it twice on this Bellator card. And I was both times I just looked back at that Connor fight and I'm like, everybody's kind of give a lot of those Connor defenders, they're giving him a lot of slack and saying that, like, you know, they're really minimizing Dustin's win here and putting all this emphasis on Connor maybe having um, leg problems leading up to the fight and all this. And I watched these and I was like, <clears throat> I don't think people understand though that like you can't take away the value of Dustin's win yeah. because it's something that whether he himself did it in the cage with the checks or whatever, or if it was something that was already a problem going in, still a win at the end of the day. Exactly. And just well, like the, just like Tyrell Fortune and Juliana Velasquez are going to have wins on their record. For yeah, the rest you, of their you life. can only control the controllables, you know, and, yeah. every, and then everything else is out of your hands, no matter what the situation may be. So, mm-hmm. speaking of some UFC, let's transition into UFC Vegas 31. Oh we my. start with our headliner. This fight was not as competitive as maybe I or you, Dom, thought it might be. Uh, Islam Makachev submits Thiago Moises with the rear naked choke. Smash. Two minutes, 38 seconds of round number four. Um, He was a big favorite coming in here, and rightfully so. The guys, outside of his one lone UFC loss, he's looked incredible. Yeah, Um, He very much looks like he is going to pick up kind of where Habib left. That's been really the expectation, and he has shown us no reason to think otherwise. But Tiago Moises at least presented some... Something interesting here. He's a guy yeah. on a three-fight winning streak against good-level opponents, Michael Johnson, Bobby Green, and then Alexander Hernandez, all three good opponents. And in this fight, he is he does have kind of a kickboxing background, which thought his, the striking battle might be interesting. And mm-hmm. if he was – if he welcomed a grappling, he also is a very high-level jiu-jitsu fighter, so things could get interesting in those transitions on the ground if he was able to kind of put a submission on whatever. Yep. But my question going in here for Tiago was, what would his game plan be? Would it be to kind of keep the fight on the feet? Because we kind of assumed his striking would be a little better than Islam Makachev's. Yeah. But he also is undoubtedly a better ground fighter in his own right. Yeah. His his jiu-jitsu is definitely his defining trait so would he welcome the grappling mm-hmm. and say no i think my grappling is better and i think we got our answer in the pre-fight video where tiago said as much i think my grappling is better than his and i want to show that right and honestly i think that was a game plan that was dead on arrival yeah being honest it's just it was obvious here that he in round one um while they were trying to feel each other out I did notice in the striking that Islam looked like he was biting on all of Tiago's feints, uh, maybe a bit 
uh, nervous to kind of engage on the feet. And if, if Tiago could have kept that fight standing, I think that could have really maybe been an interesting uh, matchup if it had gone that way for the majority of the fight. But he actually started being the one that kind of went for takedowns. Yeah, or closing bit him in the fight. ass. And I just think that that was, in hindsight, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, I think that was a game plan that just kind of immediately was the worst game plan he could have going in here. Yeah. Um, and that became obvious once you saw the rest of the fight where Islam smothered, uh, took him down at will, controlled him for the entire fight, yeah. and ultimately submitted him at, in the fourth round. What were your thoughts on this one? Well, after that first round of being more so back and forth on the feet, or at least mm-hmm. closer, Islam, once he began to implement his grappling and pressing Tiago up against the fence, he got pretty comfortable on the feet those rounds two, three, and four, and began even taking the exchanges there. And I think it was more so just the pressure that he kept going. And Tiago really had no choice or chance, I should say, to even implement whatever game plan he may have wanted to do because Islam constantly had his back against the cage. The pace was wherever he wanted it to be, and he was essentially mirroring and cutting off everywhere Moises was going. He had no answers for anything. Even when he, at one point, he being Moises, did land a takedown, but immediately the transitioning from Islam Makachev to go right into taking the back of Moises off of the same takedown within like 15 seconds was truly masterful. This man is every bit of the protege of Habib, and you see it when he fights. The heavy pressure, the grappling up against the cage, the drowning of his opponents, and you just see minute by minute, round by round, the will of Moises began to whimper and whimper. And then in the fourth round, he locks in that submission and uh, obviously forces the tap. But I got to say, too, and I don't think it's like too crazy or one-offish to say this, but when you compare like the striking of Islam and Habib, it looks as if Islam is more comfortable at the age of 29 than maybe Habib was. And I think that his potential upside in the striking realm could be more than what we ever got to see Habib get to all things considered. He retired at the age of 32, obviously, but what I saw last night, the comfortability as the fight went on and to be able to adapt and still land his shots on the feet before implementing his wrestling. I was quite impressed all across the board for Islam Makachev, man. I mean, it, it's really a scary problem he presents to anyone in this division. Yeah. I don't know if I agree with the, evaluation like comparing him and Habib stand up and I I don't know I mean that's 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 neither here nor there it doesn't really matter but um you know I think I just maybe maybe I just didn't really see it like you did when it came to the striking I not that I I thought he did get a lot more comfortable mm-hmm. in the later rounds but again Tiago Moises is not necessarily a world-class striker yeah and I just I didn't necessarily see it from Islam here nothing t- from this fight told me that he's going to be looking to I like if he gets to when he gets to this uh top of the heap at lightweight um you have a lot of dangerous strikers up there and whatnot I just don't think he's going to be able to hang on the feet with any of them he will simply just be comfortable enough yeah I have I, I don't even know if I would even go that far I think it's kind of a I mean it, you saw early here against Tiago Moises a discomfort on the feet that yes over time softened up I just think that if you're going in to a fight. And when I say this, I recognize Islam Makachev knows where his route to victory is going to yeah. be. 
Oh, and yeah. the problem for these top lightweights is that if they can't keep the fight standing, they're, they're doomed. Yeah. So I fully recognize what I'm saying is I don't want it to sound like I'm underestimating Islam or underrating him or um, that I don't think he has a chance against. Him. I think this guy might be the next belt holder for all we yeah. know. Um, but even if he's going up against a Charles Oliveira, and he, if the fight were to stay standing, if he can't take Oliveira down, I don't think he can hang on the feet with Oliveira. I don't think okay. he can hang. I don't think he can hang on the feet with Dustin Poirier, with Justin Gaethje, with Michael Chandler, with mm-hmm. maybe even Benil Dariush and guys like that. I just, right. I, I think that he showed here that if you kind of, if you get in his face a little bit, and you at least, if you're willing to engage with the striking and not be tentative, yeah, that he will kind of overcompensate. He was biting on a lot of feints. Um, so I would be curious to see how that would go against a better striker because I just really didn't see it from him here, if I'm being honest. But still, an amazing performance anyways. I don't want to focus too much on the aspect that I thought maybe left some room to be desired because he did get the fight to where he needed to get it to against a dangerous opponent on the ground who really here looked like there was complete – classes between yeah. these two skill wise it's just even the one point where uh tiago I, I don't remember if it was round one or round two where he kind of got islam's back for a second mm-hmm. then islam just immediately kind of shook him off and was able to transition it in the side oh it was insane it's very impressive i mean this was just a really good performance it shows that islam makachev talent wise is probably a top three lightweight right now even if his ranking says otherwise yeah i think that i'm gonna treat it like that as i'm kind of booked this guy going forward um he did call out a few different opponents he he called out directly michael chandler who was on the broadcast last yes. night yes um that as well was the entire rest of the division he, he also <laughs> uh, mentioned rda and tony ferguson i, I believe those are is that five through seven no, I think uh, Connor's number seven, I think. Four, five, and six. Okay. So I'm not really going to match him up with any of those three. Um, not that they're not good fights. RDA fight is something I definitely wanted at one time and was booked at one time. Tony Ferguson fight, I think, is just – I think Let's that's not. Just, I think Let's it's – I get why you would do it, like why the story behind it. Yeah. But for Tony, I don't know why – Tony's – his ranking is really going to do him a dessert. Like it's honestly like hurting him as he's getting matched up. Like he's got to be fighting someone a little lower. At this yeah. Point. Um, and, and Michael Chandler, I think him and Justin Gaethje are going to be next for there. It has to be. Players. So Islam Makachev, I am going to book him with Benil Dariush. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I understand for Dariush, man, you're probably going to be a little disappointed having to fight the number nine ranked uh, buzzsaw. That is Islam Makachev. But yeah, um, he is still coming off that win over Tony Ferguson in a bit of an odd spot. Yes, he's ranked third, but every time I hear someone talk about the top of the lightweight division, he is constantly put as like the, you know, when people are looking at who Islam Makachev could beat in the top five right now, yeah, they might say, no, he can't beat the rest of the top five, but Benil Dariush is the one guy yeah. who gets pointed out as like he can. Right. So do you see what I'm saying? But Il Darius just kind of being overlooked in terms of an actual title challenger. I agree. A top five lightweight. A win over Islam Makachev would shut that up right now because even though Makachev's ranked ninth, it's kind of like the Hamzat Leon Edwards 
argument yeah. I had where that win's going to do more for him right now than any win that any other fight that might be available right now, you know, because there's not a ton of guys, you know, would a win over RDA prove more to me than a win over Benil Dariush or a win over Islam Makachev? Right. I don't know. Makachev looks really good right now. So that's the fight I would want to see. And ultimately, if Makachev wins that, he's literally. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's title. title shot. Yeah. Uh, I do love that one. And just for parity's sake, because really there are just a plethora of options that you can go mm-hmm. with Islam. I, I do like the idea of him and RDA. And simply because every time you hear the boss man, Dana White, and anyone else speak of RDA, they talk about how highly touted he is. And a win over this guy says a lot, no matter what weight class it is or what stage of the career you or him are in. And I think that it could be one more step for Islam to take out potentially a former champion, a top-ranked guy, and then catapult into the top three. So potentially, I guess with my route here, two more wins and then a title fight, I think you could easily do another main event for Islam to build up some more hype against a guy like RDA who just headlined with Paul Felder. And RDA is good on the feet but also very aggressive and has a good grappling style, great at jiu-jitsu. So essentially a similar test for Islam that Tiago presented – but a better version of that, if that makes sense. So mm-hmm. I would go, uh, if it's not, you know, guys like Dariush, Ferguson, Chandler, which I don't think it will be, um, I would go Islam versus RDA. But again, you can't really go wrong because he's going to fight up and it's going to be a significant jump up no matter who it is. Yeah, he said he wants to fight by the end of the year. Do you think yeah. that'll happen for him, for a guy who's really struggled to kind of mm-hmm. get matchups as yeah. of late? I do. I think it'll be by the end of the year, get three fights in. Before this, he had a two-year layoff, so it is great that we've seen him twice in March and July. Mm-hmm. One more time, hopefully, by the end of the year. And come 2022, <laughs> there's going to be a big wrench in the plans of anyone in the top three of this division if it looks like he's going to keep putting performances like this on the board. Well said, and I think uh, that's a good way to kind of move into the co-main event here. Um, Misha Tate making her return after a five-year layoff. She gets the TKO over Marion Renault, who was making her last walk to the Octagon Saturday night. Uh, TKOs are round three, minute 53 seconds into that third round. Uh, first, when I was watching this, I thought immediately it looked obvious kind of going in that Misha looked incredible. But the fact that when she said, like, once you saw her in the octagon, this is the best shape we've ever seen her in. 100%. Not even debatable. That that was obvious to me immediately. Yeah. And then once the fight started, started a little slow in that first round. Definitely, you know, five years off. And Marianne Renault recognizing this is her last fight against a former champion. Yeah. Definitely a long feeling out process in that first round. But once Misha got that fight to the ground, a really nice takedown towards the end of that first round. Her takedowns are Um, so good. She immediately kind of got more comfortable, eased up a little bit, or uh, the tension kind of loosened up for her. Yeah. Um, And she was spectacular here. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's no other way around it. She looked incredible, and the fact that she got a finish is more than I thought she would going in. Mm -hmm. Uh, Marianne Renault had never been finished in her career, and here she is in her last fight and is able to put her away. And, you know, this this was really a fight where, no disrespect to Marion Renault, but this, the story coming in here was all about Misha Tate yes. and, and how she would look. And I think she passed every test, every, I agree. 
expectation one could have. Mm-hmm. I think she not only achieved those expectations or reached them, I think she overextended on them and uh, completely went leaps and bounds above and beyond. So I'm very much excited about this return coming off this fight. I think that um, while I'm in no uh, I'm in no frame of mind right now to even think about her and Amanda Nunes again because right. Amanda Nunes is just that's just you know it's a different that's, beast. That's yeah. when you when you're playing a fighting game. That's the that's the boss, the final the boss. End. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I will tell you, there is one fight to make coming off this one. There is a single fight to make for Misha Tate, and that is to run it back mm. with mm. Holly Holm. Uh, coming off of their all-time classic where Misha Tate won the belt from Holly Holm in that fifth round with a come-from-behind submission win. Yeah. Um, I think that that is the fight to make right now for the Bantamweight division, a fight that would put some life into this division that has been so kind of dull and just lifeless for a while now. Yeah, that fight is one that doesn't involve Amanda Nunes, and it matters. It's a fun fight. There are two big stars that could probably headline a fight night, or would probably be a oh, campaign yeah. on a pay per view or something. And yeah, I'm that's the fight for me. And for Holly Holm, the reason why she takes that is because right now she is stuck in this kind of yeah no man's land. You know, she's 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 right there at the very top of the division, but nobody really is ready to give her another chance at Amanda Nunes. If she goes in and starches Misha Tate, maybe you do give her another chance. You know, it's just I, I think that's the fight to make. Yeah, uh, Misha looked incredible last night. She's uh, come leaps and bounds in terms of her physique, and um, honestly, on the feet too, she looked a lot more elusive, quicker. The strikes were flowing a little bit more fluently than what we're used to seeing from her. Her footwork was quicker. So it just looks like she's become a better athlete over the last four and a half years and obviously the past year getting ready for her comeback. And her grappling was everything that we're so used to seeing from her. And she's never just someone that takes you down and lays there. She's always going for ground and pound, looking for submissions, always looking for the finish. That's why she's always been in great fights and still is to this day in 2021. So Shout out to Misha Tate in the big return fight, getting a big win on against Mari and Renault. Shout out to Mari and Renault for a good career. Hats off to her, of course, in retirement. For Misha, I love the idea of running it back with Holly, the title fight rematch, jumping her right back into the deep end of the pool here mm-hmm. with the women's bantamweights. Um, but again, parody's sake, there is one other matchup I do like simply because Misha, when she had decided to come back, had said – she was targeting one person specifically that had been kind of on her radar. And it's someone now that unfortunately is coming off of a loss recently, but Yana Kunitskaya, number six, just lost Irina Aldana. I think it's a, still a good jump to put Misha back into the contender talk and rank into the top six, top five without someone as good. That sounds rude, but as Holly Holm. And it's still just one more test and allows her to warm up even more before the fights like Aspen Lad, before Holly Holm, before GDR, and maybe, just maybe, Amanda Nunes. So uh, for parity's sake, for a different stylistic matchup, 
I'll go number six, Yana Kunitskaya. But I do think regardless of if you're right or I'm right or if we're both wrong, she's getting a top ten opponent without question in this next yeah, fight. There's just no doubt. There's no denying her right now. That that yeah. was that was just a very impressive win. And I get it. It's over Marion Renault, who was 44. That was that marked five straight losses to kind of end her career here. Yeah. But still, a number 12 ranked Bantamweight, someone who has really 44 is, should not be a, a, I guess, knocking point for her because the girl just started when she was 36. Yeah, which is crazy. I mean, that's, that is insane. So it's kind of like the Randy Couture effect where you just have less, you know, fight years wise. She was still very much in this fight. And yeah. um, Misha just, she did more here than I really thought we were going to get coming in. Yeah, and drawn in all aspects. I tried to reserve those expectations and and just want to see her win or look good, Um, but this was beyond what I thought we were going to give. I agree. Let's get into the rest of this card because there was a lot of good fights on here, a lot of meaningful fights that really, you know, push divisions forward, have guys really pushing for those top 15 opponents next and whatnot. Our featured bout... Saw a statement win for Matos Gamrot as he submits Jeremy Stevens a minute five seconds of round number one. Didn't realize this going in when we were talking about this on Friday that this fight was at lightweight for uh, Jeremy Stevens who had fought for this long run he's had of late. He's been fighting at featherweight. So he was in a divisional move here, moving up 10 pounds, um, going up against Gamrot who – uh, I didn't really realize all the Gamrot love until I was seeing Twitter in the lead up to his fight, and uh, a lot of people are very high on this guy. And yeah. I saw it very quickly after that <laughs> because um, nineteen and one now. Um, it seems like that UFC debut just being kind of a weird fight with uh, Kudaladze, who and it was a split. You said too split so. decision against Garam Kudaladze, who might end up being a great talent in his own right. Yeah, and. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, this fight was very quick, obviously, but Gamrot was immediately able to get this fight to where he wanted to get it to on the ground. And Jeremy just couldn't – as soon as you kind of saw um, Gamrot in that north-south position and he was searching for that arm. Oh, he, he just it. I, I was looking for an arm bar, but then he yeah. was able to get um, – Kimura. The Kimura to finish it off. And a uh, very impressive win in very quick fashion over a UFC veteran who – yeah. Whether you like him or not, what, no matter what his record says or whatnot, the guy is a big test for someone who was one and one in the UFC coming in. Yeah, and to come in and do that, dispose of Jeremy Stevens in one minute, that's that's very impressive. And he likely, just because of name value alone, is going to be one fight away from top 15, if not launched into a top 15 yeah, opponent next. I, I it, would even go as far to say that top 15 is next for the guy. Yeah, I mean – I don't want to get too wild and crazy, but he could literally very well be fighting a guy like Moises in his next fight. Mm -hmm. Uh, So with a performance like this, to come out and steamroll an opponent like Jeremy Stevens that Noah said is tough as nails, and yes, he does get finished, but he's still hard to put out, and he's always in a grinded-out fight. Gamrot wanted no part of that, implemented the game plan perfectly, cranked that arm, got the Kimura in a minute, and uh, we're likely going to see him back relatively quickly uh, after such an easy performance, uh, he got a uh, bonus as well. So really, it was a p- 
perfect evening for Matos Gamrot last night. Now let's talk about Jeremy Stevens real quick, just because I think mm-hmm. he he deserves it. I man, so many of you guys are so mean to Jeremy Stevens because, <laughs> and I I get it. Like I get he doesn't make it necessarily easy on himself. I mean, yeah, I get it. But also, like God, you guys have got a family. You guys are so ruthless to him on yeah. Twitter. And I, I just, I've always liked Jeremy Stevens. I, I, I know, I know. Who the fuck is that guy? I get it. That's the all-time insult. Yeah. And then obviously, what he did to Drakkar Close was just stupid. And that didn't help his case. No. Yeah. But I've, I've just always liked the guy for what he does in the octagon. He's just a very exciting fighter. And not only does he bring it, give his all in each fight. But he really brings out the best in his opponents yeah. a lot of times, which has obviously uh, caused him to have a, his fair share of losses in the UFC. But I think he deserves some some the respect to at least kind of talk about his future here because this is a big skid for him. Yeah, you know, I think he's uh, winless in his last six fights. Um, there is a no contest in there, but he's zero and five outside of that. Um, does he have another fight left in the UFC? You know, this was so this was so quick. This was a blink if you miss it. You know, he didn't necessarily get I, I don't know I don't how do I word this? I I want to say to his credit, like it's almost like he'd you know it, it he was didn't so get a chance quick. to do it much. Was so quick that like you really didn't get a chance to see how he would look at lightweight. You know, is yeah. there some room there for maybe one more fight to really see if he if he has anything left? Um, he did go up against a guy who was just kind of able to get the fight right to where he wanted to. And then Jeremy was already in a compromised position in that North South, uh, with his arm kind of tangled yeah. up with uh, Gamrot. So, in a way, it's like, did he get outclassed? I don't know. If it just seemed, I, it's kind of like a, if a power puncher catches you with the one shot early, right. like, did you get outclassed or did you just kind of get caught? Yeah. This to me was like a guy, a grappler, getting, caught. getting yeah. caught by a grappler in a way. So I know you kind of you seemed to very mm, mm. when I said it. Do you think he's done? I unfortunately, for the fans' sake, and of course, obviously for Jeremy and the fun fights he always puts on, with it being five or six in a row with no loss or no wins, and a lot of them are via finish, if not all of them, outside of the no contest with the eye poke thing. It's actually well, it's, I think it's two i think it's the calvin cater fight and then this one okay um so oh, no, sorry the aldo fight as well so yeah that would yeah. be three of six but one of those are no contest is a beat and yeah your rodriguez fights were decisions yeah just to give you context so um it's just i don't know it it hurts anyone but then you see i mean you see guys in the same boat like cowboy cerrone who is a big name just like jeremy i mean he's a bigger name but still goes on losing streaks but he still gets fights so Maybe they could give him one more as like a, a send-off, like one more fight, no matter win or loss. Maybe we could see that. But with the aftermath of the Drakkar close fight, that was a really bad look. I mean, he did get a fight booked, obviously, here against Gamera after the fact. But still, that matched with this losing streak and half of them coming by way of finish in pretty convincing fashion. Although he's a guy that's a fan – well, I was going to say fan favorite. Fan favorite in terms of a style – fighting uh i just i don't know it might be the end of the road for uh stevens but the beginning of the road for a guy like gamrot to launch himself into some big fights in the future 
I don't know. Maybe I'm just drinking uh, the Jeremy Stevens Kool Aid over here, but uh, it's all right, I man. Like, I feel like I didn't realize I'm such a Jeremy Stevens defender, but um, I definitely um, think that you're probably in the majority uh, on your opinion there. I think that that's uh, uh, probably where most people are leaning, just due to not only the the losing streak itself. But the fact that the guy does have the most losses in UFC history, mm-hmm. and then you do have that Drocker close incident, where even though I will let me let me play, let me do my side of things here. Okay, um, I think that uh, Jeremy Stevens should be given another fight, and I don't and I don't even necessarily think it needs to be a uh, win or lose. This is kind of it for you type fight. Um, he obviously made a move to lightweight because. For one, cutting the featherweight was probably too much for him at this point. Yeah. And I'm sure in a lot of ways he was looking to kind of re reinject some life into his career. And he did look good physically mm-hmm. in the octagon. Um, I would be curious to see if he was given another matchup against, I don't know who, but whoever it be, yeah, how he would look at lightweight. You know, would that power carry up 10 pounds? Would he, um, you know, we saw here when he went up against a a big grappler that he wasn't really able to kind of finesse his way out of there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but how would that go if he's going up against another striker, against another power puncher at lightweight? Would his power hold up? Um, that is a good question. Um, I do think that maybe there is a, 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 a path for him to maybe get another chance to kind of, prove his worth to the company yeah. still. Uh, however, I don't know. It's <laughs> it, it's definitely, you know, I don't know if I could sit here and be as confident with this if he had another loss after yeah. this, you know. Right. Um, but shout out Jeremy Stevens, but more importantly, shout out to Matos Gamrot, who I believe is top 15 eligible Yeah. Uh, next up. Also on the main card, we had our fight of the night. To start off this main card is Billy Quarantillo. Billy Q. The TKO of Gabriel Benitez. Round three, three minutes and 40 seconds in. I said I wanted to see a big, I needed, in my head, I needed to see a big jump forward for Billy in terms of his development. Yeah. Or else, just because the guy is 32 already, even though fight years wise, probably a little less than that, but right. age-wise, you know, he, he is kind of at the tail end of his physical prime, and he passed his test in flying colors as well. <sighs> this was a tough opponent in Benitez. Not a guy yeah. with the cleanest of records, but someone who has fought a lot of guys. He's been mm-hmm. fighting the UFC for a long time, and he always comes to put on a show. And that was the problem Quarantillo had in his previous bout was when a guy kind of got in his face, yep. was able to close distance. He had no response here. This wow. was impressive. He led the dance. Yep. And uh, I want you to kind of continue on with what I'm saying here. Just that Billy, I mean, this was a big test for him and I thought he passed just like what I said about Misha earlier. He yeah. passed in flying colors. Yeah. I mean, it was a fight of the night and a damn near performance of the night. Billy Mm -hmm. Q really did look that good in the grappling and the striking, the clinch up against the cage. He made it his own, his dance, as I said, led the dance. It was his pace. And while Gabriel would fire back with one or two, Billy would answer three, four, five, six shots. I mean, he, 
Benitez more than likely injured his orbital bone very badly last night as well. So the eye was compromised. Yeah, it looked pretty bad. I mean, Billy Q really put on the best performance we've seen in the octagon. He's four and one now in the UFC. He is a contender series guy. He's beloved on MMA Twitter uh, as compared to other guys in his similar boats as him. So I, he does still, still, still have a high ceiling and to have a performance like this after a relatively lackluster one against Gavin Tucker, albeit Gavin Tucker's an incredible fighter. This really showed that, okay, Billy can still hang. He's got plenty left in the tank. I'm excited to see what will come next for him. But like I said, very well-rounded performance. Mm -hmm. You know, was looking for even submission attempts and had the body triangle, back control, you name it. Billy Q really went out and checked all the boxes last night for a complete one-sided but still competitive fight of the night performance. Yeah, I've watched Billy's uh, interview after his fight, and he did. He basically kind of said the same that we're saying that he felt like he, if he evaluated his performance, he kind of checked off every yep. box, except when it came to his ability to uh, submit his fighter, uh, his opponent Benitez. He said that uh, he that uh, rear naked choke he had on, he just didn't feel as yeah. good about it. Uh, so he was somewhat improving on that for next time. Um, I, I completely agree with you, everything you just said there. I mean, there's really nothing else to be said about this performance. It was very good. It was a complete performance. It was what I needed to see yeah. to remain a Billy Q rider here. Right. And uh, we're going to ride until them wheels fall off, Billy oh, Q. 100%. <laughs> but uh, shout out to Benitez, though. After being kind of – hadn't a beat and put on him. Guy I comes out that third round, round. Third yeah. round and drops Billy yeah, And uh, that's where the fight got real interesting. But, again, Billy able to weather a storm and um, remain composed. And it was an awesome fight. I mean, it really, was. it was fight of the night for the whole card. Obviously, you guys know I do a weird thing. And maybe you know. <laughs> I don't know if I've even really kind of touched on it. I, I tend to just give my fight of the night based on a main card. Right. Uh, that makes more sense for pay-per-views. Yeah. Because I look at it like I'm giving my fight of the night based on the five fights that I – paid 70 bucks to <laughs> yeah. watch uh, for these fight nights. It might not make as much sense, but uh, screw you guys. I'm going to do whatever I want. So, <laughs> I love it. But this was the fight of the night for the entire card. I would say. Yes, I agree. Um, but let's get into some of the prelims uh, still on the rest here, but Daniel Rodriguez. D rod, man. D rod gets that TK over Preston Parsons, three minutes, 47 seconds of round Number one. Um, if you look at someone like D rod, the guy looks like a fighter. Yeah, he does. He and he looks like someone who might bring some flash, some pizzazz into the octagon. The dude's all tatted up. Yeah, uh, scary looking guy. However, what scary. I find so interesting about his career so far is this is a guy who wins on the basics. Yeah, he's a very patient technical striker. He is he is he has found himself. He's not necessarily got an extraordinary skill set when it comes to his grappling or his striking or his uh, jiu-jitsu. But he is so tight on those basics, which is such an undervalued part of a fighter's yeah. skill set. We've never really touched on that for fighters. Yeah. But it was just becoming so obvious. He's winning these fights impressively, but I'm like, oh, what, what's really his defining trait? And it is. He is so clean on those basics, those, those fundamentals, 
the and little things. It really know, is the little things. Something. You're going to be hard pressed to kind of get him off his game to yeah. get him to slip up, and that's carried him very far here. He's only got one loss in the UFC. He's got some really big. The UFC has not necessarily been very consistent in his matchmaking, I will say. Yeah, his I debut agree. was against Tim Means, and then he kind of fought another lower-level guy, um, came back and fought. Now I'm going to forget. He fights um, all the time. He, Yeah, I think due to his activity, mm-hmm. maybe that's why. They're You're just, just giving trying to find him opponents. Yeah. But here against like Preston Parsons, like considering this is a guy who is – It was his <laughs> debut. Yeah, and D-Rod has been fighting some really good guys. So I think the UFC needs to kind of recognize that Daniel Rodriguez isn't just another guy at this point. He is – I know he's 34 years old, but he's a prospect in some ways. He's hes someone that should be kind of evaluated in terms of a, of a future in this division. And he's in um, fun fights. He is in fun fights. And that's, again, a guy that doesn't really bring a lot of flash into his performances. He's – He's completely by the numbers basics. Yeah, they're tough, like gritty, you know, mm-hmm. performances. And, uh, I did see a lot of people saying that he should be matched up with uh, Michelle Pereira next. That would be very interesting. Oh, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. As again, that would be fun. You know, we saw Pereira and Nico Price, two wild men, go at it. Bring the wild man and Michelle Pereira against someone who is kind of the the complete opposite of that and Daniel Rodriguez. Mm. And I think that could lead to another really fun bout. Um, yeah. Any Put thoughts on this fight? Uh, D-Rod just had a great performance. I mean, shout out to Preston. He did take this fight on short notice. I forget who D-Rod's original opponent was. It fell out. So Preston had a debut here against a tough guy and Daniel Rodriguez held his own momentarily before getting finished. But for D-Rod, he puts on another very good you know, technical striking performance, very patient. He's five and one in the UFC. He's one, two in a row. He's like 16 and two overall. I mean, the guy's record is really good. So yeah. I think a fight with Michelle Pereira would be crazy. But nevertheless, like work this guy up because he could essentially become at least a top 15 guy with what I've seen so far and at least challenge some of those guys, 10 through 15. And, you know, maybe if I had against a guy like Michelle Pereira, put those together, the winner goes on for a top 15 opponent next. But uh, D-Rod deserves a lot of credit, a lot of respect, and I think last night uh, was a very good showing for him nonetheless. So I went, I went to his tapology page real quick just because I, I wanted to add more validity to what I was saying. I couldn't really think of some of the other opponents he had. Uh, his de- UFC debut was a win over Tim Means that he did finish that fight in, round, in the second round. It's hard then to finish went, Tim Means. Then he goes on to fight Gabe Green. Who I don't know who Gabe Green is. I'm gonna assume you don't know who Gabe Green is. Had a canceled bout with Kevin Holland after that. That's kind of interesting. Mm. Then he gets a round one uh, win over Dwight Grant, another good opponent. Yeah. Then had back to back canceled bouts with Takashi Sato and Brian Barbarena, another couple of killers there. Yep. Then he had his lone loss against Nicholas Dalby, who we know is also Nicholas a very Dalby. good, very good yeah. fighter via decision. Comes back from that and had a big win over Mike Perry. Uh, that that's was, who it was. That was the one that I couldn't think of. And then his canceled bout was against uh, Abubakar Nurmagomedov. Okay. Um, so that would have been an interesting bout, actually, yes. to see Nurmagomedov go up against him. But, okay, that adds some context to why Preston Parsons was put in here. Yeah. Um, I was just curious because based off what I just read to you there, is that the UFC, like, you start with Tim Means, who is a veteran, a guy yeah. that's – fought a lot get a big one there and then you go to Gabe Green who would say okay 
Big step down. A little step down, yeah. Then Dwight Grant, who's like, okay, that's a pretty good opponent. And then Nicholas Dalby, Mike Perry, both good opponents. And then Preston Parsons, I was like, okay. Yeah. But it makes sense once you had that context that you had a canceled bout. Yeah. I just want to see the UFC more commit to this guy to – to, you know, he's he's proven it with his activity that maybe he recognizes he's on borrowed time in some ways, yeah. 34 years old, um, really trying to make the most out of what he's got at this point in his career. And uh, I think uh, we're very close to talking top 15 with this guy, if not already. I'd be if he got a top 15 opponent, I wouldn't be upset about it. Oh, no, I wouldn't be upset at all. Um, last one to talk about here. Amanda Lemos, the number 14 Ooh. ranked strawweight. Gets a TK over Montserrat Ruiz, 35 seconds around number one. Damn. Now, I want to get your <laughs> opinion on the stoppage first because uh, the stoppage was very interesting. It was strange. So what was your what was your thoughts on it? Were you uh, okay with the stoppage? What, what what were you thinking? Okay, well, Lemos lands a right hook that wobbles Canejo. Canejo mm-hmm. keeps pressing forward. Lemos lands a flush. Flush, left cross, drops, like flat lines, Conejo face first onto the ground. So at that instant right there, fight over. Like if I'm the ref, I'm probably going to stop the fight as well. Then to add on to that, um, Lemos drops a big right hammer fist that lands, kind of bounces Conejo's head off the canvas. And then Conejo, it's like that hammer fist woke her back up. She Mm -hmm. popped up and was ready to fight again. But uh, I forget who the ref – I think it was Tyone, Chris Tyone. I could be wrong. Either way, the ref stopped the fight, and it was more so just a spur-of-the-moment thing. Like, you see someone go face first like that, you're like, okay, whoa. And he just couldn't get there quick enough almost, it seemed. And and it was weird, too, because when the fight was – and he's waving his hands, Conejo had got back to her feet, and Lamos was actually the one on the ground because of her momentum going in. It was just – it was really weird. the first time. Yeah. The, the loser was standing, the winner yeah. was on the ground. Um, but I do agree with the stoppage. I think it was just more so the timing of everything made it look questionable. But in my head, I saw Conejo face first and get hit once more. I would have done the same thing. But I get where there's questions in this. Sorry, I must have missed this. Uh, is it Montserrat Conejo and not Ruiz? Yeah, Montserrat Conejo. Okay, that must be what she goes by then. On Wikipedia, it says Ruiz just for yeah, context. It's one of, it's, yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I couldn't remember that from last night's fight. Uh, yeah, I feel the same exact way about the stoppage, if I'm being honest. Yeah. Um, when I first watched it live, I was like, oh, holy shit. shit. <laughs> yeah. I was like, good stoppage. Yeah. I said, she has got fucked up. Yeah. But then you're like, wait, she's. Why is she walking around? What's going why on? Is she, why is she jumping on? She's on the balls of her feet right yeah. now. Just, she, this isn't like. Uh, uh, Nick Diaz and Robbie Lawler won where <laughs> Robbie got shoved into the cage basically because yeah. he got up on wobbly feet. Now, this girl looked fine. Um, the best I could try to explain it as someone who just watched it and has never actually fought before, it looked like a flash KO. Yeah. And then somewhere, whether it was uh, the, the, the punch that while she was kind of on the ground or the um, her head bouncing off the canvas yeah, from like that punch, up. it yeah. just kind of flashed her awake. And uh, she was still good to go. So if the ref had been slow to stop the fight, then I would have said at that point you could let it keep going. Right. But I thought the guy was smart and that he, he jumped tried. In. He jumped in as quick as I he mean, could. I mean, come on, guys. <laughs> come on. You watch that. Like, come on. 
she looked yeah. like she was done. Yeah, she fa face planted. <laughs> like I just I saw some people once again. You know these yeah. refs, man. They they <laughs> I do not envy them at all. Yeah. Uh, with you know MMA Twitter, you bastards. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are so mean to everybody. But uh, if it's not my man Herb Dean getting the 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 short end yeah. of the stick, it's now it's Chris Tyone. It's everyone. It's gonna be next week, but. If you watched, if you were in that position as that ref, you would have done the same thing. Oh, it's just unfor it's unfortunate that she was able to kind of, or not, I guess unfortunate she was able to, but unfortunate <laughs> yeah. Yeah. in terms of a stoppage that yeah. she was able to kind of wake back up and be fine. Um, this could have, I just think that, you know, based on what I was seeing right there in that exchange, if he hadn't stepped in and stopped it, this probably would have been just like uh, to Ivasa Hardy, where yes, Already got KO'd and then kind of came back too, but then it was just a couple more follow-up shots. Yeah, Lamus would have done the same thing. Was done. So um good win for her though, as the number 14 mm -hmm. ranked straw weight. Um what did you think about uh the post fight with her hey, translator man. slash manager Walid? Walid uh, what a guy. That's day, hey, man. He can cut promos because you know damn well she didn't say all that <laughs> in the octagon. But uh, you know. I like it and I don't like it because I genuinely do want to know what, you know, she's Brazilian. I want to know what she said. And I don't doubt that he probably hinted or said at least partially what she did, but then he added on like an entire well, just book. Of he might've said everything she said, but it just kept going. Yeah. He, she's coming for the title. She's going to be number one in the world. Blah, 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 blah. She's he just kept going. She's your champion. Yeah. Give her fight Island. Like, Hey, yeah, she wants to fight in October on Fight Island. And she's like, wait, I never said that. I'm not ready to. <laughs> but uh, Waleed, man, he does that. He's with Paulo Costa, has done the same thing. So Davis and Figueredo. Davis and Figueredo. So, you know, good on him being a good manager, coach, and building up hype around his fighters. That's what he's doing at the end of the day. It was cringy as always, but Lamos did her part, got the 35 second KO. I'm excited to see her, uh, what will come next. Um, top 10 potentially, I'd be down with it. She's very powerful, very fast, and uh, I'm ready to see her get tested. So, this women's strawweight division is just it's stacking up, ain't it? It's on another level compared to these other women's divisions right now. I agree, I mean, it, stacking up is correct. It's yeah, it just you just see these these next batch of contenders coming in, and mm -hmm. she's kind of the forefront of it for me. Lemos yep. is a sky, the sky is the limit for this girl, 100%. Um, was there anything we missed as far as for the rest here, Dom? Any other fights you just wanted to touch on real quick? Uh, shout out to Rodolfo Vieira getting a uh, needed a bounce back, back win uh, and doing it in his fashion with a submission win. That's he's literally eight and one, and eight all eight of those are via submission. Yeah. And then obviously he needed that win back after what was a yeah. very just tough loss, probably one of the toughest losses you can stomach for a guy in his shoes, mm -hmm. a jujitsu world class champion who got submitted by Anthony Hernandez. Um, also, Malcolm Gordon got a win over Francisco Figueredo low on the prelims. That's mm -hmm. Davison's brother. Davison was in his corner. Yep. that. So um, shout out to him. Uh, Rodrigo Nascimento also got a bonus. Big come PKO from behind win. That over was Alan Baldo. So uh, another yeah. good one there. But uh, I think that's pretty much it. Wouldn't you agree? Uh, I've got to say eight out of 10 fights ended via finish. And even the two fights that went to the decision were pretty entertaining. And I just like that a card like this, that wasn't the most stacked, right? Mm -hmm. we, we agree it wasn't. But when the fights deliver, that's what matters the most. And you always say, you know, styles are made in the octagon. So mm -hmm. 
or the fights are made in the octagon. I forget right. what you're saying. Yeah, again? That's what it, that's what it is. Okay. The fights are made in the octagon. But uh, it was a very good night. It um, overdid its expectations. And leading into next week's absolutely stacked fight night, it was perfect for me. I love that. That might be a message that'll resonate more two weeks from now for our uh, our <laughs> UFC yeah. card to end the month. Yeah, because uh, yes, next week's card is wow. fantastic. <laughs> uh, headlined by TJ Dillashaw's return against Corey Sandhagen. That's but enough for there me. Is a, <laughs> there is so many interesting fights on there. Um, yeah. We're gonna have a good time with that one. Oh yeah. Um, but then to end the month, you got Uriah Hall and Sean Strickland, which is a good fight. I'm I'm interested in that fight. There's just not rest much of the card has taken some hits. Yeah. Oh boy, <laughs> <laughs> that's that yeah. is to put it lightly. But uh, we'll get into that. But just just know that even if we're critical on certain cards, all I care about is if they deliver the exactly. night up. You know, I can sit here and say, "Oh, this card sucks." As the MMA Twitter man. Y'all are y'all ruthless. ruthless. Yeah, uh, they they'll the, people like to kind of flip their tongue and kind of say that, you know, before the fights even happen. Yeah, and it's so and I don't know how they still have the the balls to do it because you just know that yeah. when you say that, like you're just asking for it from Dana or whoever wants the fights actually deliver. It's like, well, we told what you something about that. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, a card like this, the one that was um, not necessarily stacked, but Eight out of ten be a finish. I, I had a great time watching these. It went yeah. by pretty quick. Uh, can't complain. Hundred percent. But uh, that's going to wrap it up here for this edition of the MMA Weekend Recap. Um, let us know your thoughts on this upcoming fight this weekend with TJ Dillashaw mm. and Corey Sanhagen. Leave Been us a waiting. voice message and let us know your thoughts on the fight, or if you have any questions about our thoughts on the fight or anything else going on. This is a three episode week. So Wednesday, we will be coming at you with an episode, special episode. Friday will be the MMA weekend preview. Big focus for that one will be UFC Vegas 32. Yep. Uh, San Hagen Dillashaw, along with just so many other good fights on there that we're going to talk about. But until then, Dominic, tell the good people where they can find you on social media. Ladies and gentlemen, you can find me on Twitter, on Instagram, at dsleeve 14 I just want to toot my own horn a little bit. I've been starting to grind out some more articles. I'm getting more comfortable with my squad mm-hmm. and Overtime Heroics, so I'm just liking to turn out some more content, along with my great buddy here, Noah, on the podcast, MMA. It's a lifestyle, baby. But anyway, mm-hmm. you can also follow our podcast on Twitter, on Instagram, at B-A-J underscore MMA podcast. I hope you all have a great week. I'll see you on Wednesday. Noah, get us out of here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you go to my uh, Twitter or Instagram, it's at ntbaker underscore. There is a link in my bio to the link tree, which uh, has all the platforms that the podcast is on, along with social media platforms for below average Joe's. So the Twitter, the Instagram, YouTube channel, Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcast. It's all on there. And a couple links for today's sponsor, Anchor. Thank you to Anchor. Uh, their links on there include our link for if you want to become a supporter of the podcast and there's a link for leaving voice messages. So make full use of those. Uh, That's it. We're out and we're going to see y'all on Wednesday.